The scripture for this morning is going to be two passages from the book of Luke. The first one is Luke 3, 21 to 23. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Luke 4, 1-14. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Thanks, Beth. Can we thank Beth and the team for for helping today? Thanks, Beth. We've got a team of folks at a conference actually this week uh, on the East Coast. Cindy's there uh, leading a seminar on uh, church planning, which is kind of fun. Um, But it's a good day to be with you. Uh, The passage that was just read is an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, We're going through the book of Luke, and we're just kind of uh, making our way through. Here we are in in the the last part of chapter 3 into chapter 4. I think it's one of those, those... these texts in the Bible that we might be tempted uh, to uh, dis- dismiss immediately. Um, it might be one of those ones that we just would choose right off the bat. Well, no, I don't. Jesus in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. Um, before I, I want to, I want to. Before I address some of those objections that just naturally arise out of that, I do want to um, state a few things, and then, and then we'll get to that. You remember, if you were here when we first started out with Luke's account, Luke put together this 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 biography of Jesus, this gospel account, he, uh, saying in those first initial verses, "I've done the work. I've looked at all the evidence, and I've, I've pulled it all together to present to you what really happened with Jesus." So, off the bat. Luke would say, take this seriously. Don't dismiss this. Don't dismiss this as fable or myth. Understand the importance of this text. Uh, The Bible is pretty clear about it. It teaches that there's evil in the world, uh, that there's opposing forces. There's there's the kingdom of of love, uh, grace, uh, peace, and then there's the kingdom of not love, grace, and peace, kingdom of of hatred, of uh, fear, of pride. 
And when you look at those forces at play in the world, hatred, fear, and pride, uh, who's going to deny that those forces are really quite powerful or really quite complex? And the Bible says something that a lot of people don't actually believe about it, and that is underneath this, this complexity, underneath this, these powerful forces at work, there's an intelligence there. The Bible says in that it is evil is intelligent. Uh, Andrew Del Banco, a uh, self-described uh, self-identified secular liberal professor out of Columbia University wrote a really fascinating uh, book on this topic that he called The Death of Satan, How Americans Have Lost the Sense of Evil. And what he argues essentially in that is it's bad for us as a people, it's bad for us as a society that we have lost our ability to deal with true evil. He said since we've lost the concept of Satan, or for that matter God, Satan, good and evil, we don't have the tools to deal with evil the way we need to. Uh, he says other, he said, the only tool in our toolbox, the only tools in our toolbox are essentially to dismiss it as psychological or genetically rooted imbalances, he says. Um, but he was once asked, Delbanco was once asked, uh, you know, why would you, you know, self-described, you know, by your own definition, secular, liberal, uh, why would you write a book, book, book like this? And he said, because of the Holocaust, he is a grandchild of Eastern European Jews, and he lost family relatives in the Holocaust. And he said, uh, if you get rid of the idea of a transcendent evil, say that evil is only the result of human mistakes or problems, then we have a problem. He said, if we say the Nazis just had a physiological problem, that trivializes it. And accepting that it's just evolutionary survival of the fittest gives us no foundation to say it's wrong, which it was. It was evil, end quote. It's kind of reminiscent of that, that thought that I'm sure all of us have heard. The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was to convince us that he doesn't exist. Uh, the text before us, the topic at hand that we face is, is on evil, but even more specifically, it's on, of course, the topic of temptation. And wherever you're at on the spiritual spectrum, wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, I think temptation is something that we all face. And frankly, in our society, we don't talk a whole lot about. And I'm actually, you know, it's not necessarily a text I would have picked, hey, let's go look at this text, but since we're working our way through Luke, uh, here it is in front of us. And what we see here is Jesus facing and overcoming evil and temptation. But what's really interesting about this, in, in, in my mind, is it's not just saying Jesus went out there, took care of things, beat evil. He went out to the wilderness, he came back, he's victorious. It doesn't just say that. It could just say that. Instead, we have this detailed account of what went down. Why? It seems to me in large part to help instruct us for facing temptation. Uh, therefore, the text in front of us empowers us to face the temptations that we will face. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Father, uh, you teach us to pray, lead us not into temptation. We depend and rely on you for your help in this. Uh, would you please now, through your word and example, and the example you set, equip and empower us to face temptation? for your sake, for the sake of those around us in our lives, and then, and then, of course, for our own sake. We ask this in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, there's something I do want to notice with you right off the bat that I think is important that we don't miss. I mean, look out how chapter 4 starts out. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Here's the context of what's happening. Jesus had just been baptized, okay? Uh, that, that part was read back in chapter 3. It says, The Spirit descended on him like a dove. 
Um, then we're told in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, uh, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know, the other gospel writers, uh, Mark and, and Matthew in particular, uh, have, real, have even more stri- striking language along these lines. In Matthew, it says Jesus was baptized again, the Spirit descended on him. And then uh, in his text, it also happens to be chapter 4, verse 1 of Matthew, it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That word then could actually also be tra- translated thus meaning it could be translated after his baptism, thus Jesus was led into the spirit, by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then Mark's counts even, even, even clearer. After his baptism, Mark puts it this way, immediately or at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. What are we seeing here? We are seeing Jesus on this, having this most high of high moments, okay? Mountaintop spiritual moment. And then right in the midst of that, or at least right after that, he is led by the Holy Spirit. He is led by God straight into the wilderness, straight into the desert. It seems to me what we can take from here is wilderness-type experiences are inevitable. A temptation, conflict uh, is, is inevitable. Um, if you're looking into the Christian faith and trying to figure it all out, here's something that the Bible teaches. And frankly, if you watch the televangelists that are airing right now, or you just listen to a number of folks that are, there's plenty of them out there, uh, they're teaching, you know what the Bible says is if you just follow him, if you, if you, start follow, if you become a Christian, you start working out the faith in your life, your life's going to become easy, at least easier. It's going to become more comfortable. It's going to become more prosperous. God's going to give you these blessings in these ways. The problem is that's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible does teach is there are, there are even greater promises. That is, we'll have peace and an anchor in, no matter what the situation we face, no matter the circumstances. But at the end of the day, wilderness-type experiences are going to come. It's a part of the deal. They will happen. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, often we find ourselves in desert-like situations, and we think, oh, you know what? God's mad at us. Or maybe it's we've done something to mess it up. We've done something wrong. Um, but it's not always that way. It's not always, it, you, sometimes God uses the, 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 the different paths in our lives to lead us to the mountaintop, so to speak. Sometimes things happen in our lives that God is meant for our development, for our training. Now, to be sure, there are times, uh, certainly, that uh, we end up in hard places because of our own foolish decisions, because of our own wise uh, turns, but that's not always and not necessarily the case. Um, but that's why each of the gospel accounts makes such a big deal that right after his baptism, this wonderful high of high moments, God says, you are my son with, with whom I am well pleased. Right after that, he is taken into the wilderness for a time of hardship and a time of testing. Um, okay, so what were these temptations Jesus faced, and how do they help us as, as far as what we face? Uh, first temptation is we see in verses 2 through 4. It says, Jesus ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word of God is how the end of that quote goes from, from the scripture he's referencing. So what was the temptation here? Was the temptation to be hungry? Of course not. Uh, the temptation that the devil was putting in front of him was to tap into his divinity for himself that he had been laying aside when he came to be with us, to live among us. It's very telling that the, de- the devil in his temptation to Jesus here says, if you're the son of God, you know, Jesus was, is the son of God. And yet what was another way he described himself? Uh, one of his most favorite ways of actually describing himself, he mentions it 81 times 
in the gospel accounts, and that is he is the son of man. So Jesus is the son of God, but he's also the son of man. The whole point of Jesus coming into the world was to live and be one of us. This is what we sing about at Christmas. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, yet, um, he, yes, he was fully God, but also fully the Son of God. Philippians 2 puts it this way. Jesus, being in very nature of God, made himself nothing. Or one translation is he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus emptied himself. He made himself nothing in, terms, uh, in regards to his divine nature. Uh, for the sake of living as one of us. You know, there's this really interesting story in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is the garden that Jesus was in as he was praying, literally the place where he was taken by force to be falsely tried and then ultimately executed. Uh, when he was in that garden that, that fateful night, uh, the authorities came with their clubs, with their torches, all that sort of deal. And it says, it says Peter, one of his main disciples, his main student, uh, drew out a dagger, and ended up cutting off a servant's ear. Now, I find it actually a little bit comical. Not comical for the sake of the dude who lost his ear. That's not what I'm saying. But comical in the sense of, like, in at least two ways. First of all, Peter took the ear off of a servant. It's like, come on, Peter. It's like, the servant wasn't even a player in this, and you're going to take out his ear? Come on. But the other thing is that he got his ear. Like, why would he have taken out his ear? It can't help but mean dude had bad aim. Okay, so it's like Peter did all this. Anyways, that aside, Jesus heals the man's ear and says this. He says, Peter, don't you realize that if they're at any moment in this, I could call for myself a legion of angels and they would be here to protect me? Don't you realize I could do that? The whole point of Jesus coming to be with us, uh, to, to, to be here was to empty himself of, of that part of himself so that he could be among us and he could take care of what we needed him to take care of. Um, and so the devil was tempting him. You're hungry? You could make bread from that stone? Do it. Do it. Um, have you ever been super hungry? Like really, really hungry? Uh, Cindy and I had a buddy who fasted for about 40 days. I mean, he was just on like a, a um, liquid diet, okay? Um, you know those cartoons where people start showing up when the character's so like hungry, all it, the character's friends start looking like pizza and hamburger, like, that happens. Like, at the end of this fast, we were like, dude, you can't. You got to stop. Like, no, no more of this. Um, but there's actually this process in the body where when you first start going on a fast or even like pretty intense diets, I can attest to that part, you get really hungry at first, but then actually your body adjusts and you don't get super hungry. And that's why it's not always healthy. It's actually often unhealthy. Uh, when people who are super, like, super, super skinny will say, I'm not hungry, they're actually telling the truth. Your body kind of adjusts. But then after that phase, I'm sure you can imagine, you get really hungry fiercely hungry, and you, you've got to eat for all the reasons we can make out. Jesus was in one of these times, he's just really, really hungry, starvation coming around, uh, closing in on him, and uh, he, because he had not eaten anything in those days. Here's what it seems to me, the question that Jesus was basically being asked by the devil, and in, terms, and in a sense is one that we can be asked. Uh, he was being asked, who was he going to trust in crisis? Who was he going to trust in crisis? Jesus knew, knows the feeling of, is this going to work out? God sent me here. How is this going to play out? How is this going to work out? I had a uh, pastor's network gathering this week. There's a team of us who kind of uh, pulled together uh, 
a bigger group, and we were planning this event that we were going we to have. And the, the, this committee, if you will, of pastors was like, okay, what's, what topic should we talk about when pastors come to encourage one another? And the topic that was selected and voted unanimously by everybody was how to pastor when your own life is falling apart. And the room was packed. All these folks came up. I was like, I don't know what that tells you about pastors. Pray for, pa- pray, pray for pastors. The room was packed. About 30, 30 or so folks from the, from the southern peninsula showed up. And there was this guy there who, who came also from the area to kind of speak on this topic. Uh, comes from a line of pastors and his family back to his granddad and uh, has been in the ministry in the area for 37 years. But he was talking about this, how he had had some really hard times in his life. Actually, it was one of the jokes of how he was invited because he had had really hard times. They're like, come tell us about your hard times. Um, but he really opened up with us. He kind of, he was sharing some, some real hardship. He's saying there's been hard things in the ministry itself, in the church work itself. But he said, guys, if I could be real, if I can be real with you, the hard, real hard stuff, that's hard, has come in my own personal life. And he was talking, I'm not going to go through all the details of, of some of his kids, his daughter, for instance, it being in an abusive relationship. Uh, his son literally trying to kill himself three to four times and even being there, right? The whole deal, okay? And when he's sharing, it's hard to kind of take it in. It was very, it was very, um, I really respect the guy for, for going there and, and talking about it. But he said this. He said, look, guys, I've been preaching as you have in the Bible and, and promises like Romans 8.28. God works for uh, the, the good uh, in all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He said, guys, it wasn't really into those moments, until those moments of crisis that I really had to ask myself, do I believe this? Do I believe this? I think for us, as for, for, for those of you who are believers, you can say, we can say, yes, I believe God is there. I believe he's for me. Always, even in the midst of hardship, even especially in the midst of hardship. But then hardship comes. And then our tone shifts a little bit. Our tune shifts a little bit. Um, this is the question Jesus was facing. Is would, would he, who would he trust in crisis? Um, for that matter, uh, Jesus quoted a scripture here that was referencing the Israelites in the wilderness. You know, he said, "Man will not, uh, people will not live on bread alone, but trust God's word." That actually goes all the way back to referencing when the Israelites fled from Egypt and were out in their own wilderness. Actually, literally, yeah, in the wilderness. And what they learned in that uh, season, in that time of their life, was that they had to depend on God for their bread. It was called manna every day. And you want to know how long they had to depend on God for that? How long they were in the wilderness for that? Forty years. Jesus was at the end of his rope. Starvation was closing in. Who was he going to trust in crisis? Would he, would he say, God, how dare you allow this to happen? How dare you lead me here? Or, you know what, I don't understand how this is playing out, but I trust you, and, it, and, it, and, you're, and you're working. Second temptation. Uh, verses 5 through 8. The devil led him to a high place, presumably in a vision, and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now on the surface, this one might not seem like a big deal. Like where's the temptation here? Like, isn't it God who, who has all the kingdoms? I mean, isn't this one where Jesus can just, like, you know, hand, hand smack the devil? Like, you don't own the kingdoms anyways. It doesn't matter. That's not a temptation. Actually, the way the Bible talks about it is the devil, since Adam's first rebellion, does have all the kingdoms. 
Uh, the Bible, any number of places, talks about him as the ruler of the prince of the kingdom of the air. Uh, talks about him as the principality. Talks about the one uh, who has the authority. Jesus, at one point later in his ministry, will say, I have come to bind the strong man so that he could actually win back the kingdom. So in reality, the devil did have authority to give Jesus the kingdom. And you know why this was so enticing to him? You know why this was something that would have been so tempting? It would have meant that Jesus could have had all the kingdom, all the splendor, without having to go to the cross, without having to suffer. That was the big temptation here. The question he was facing, we faced, is would he sell out to avoid pain? And when you phrase it that way, you start to see, boy, that we could see that in our own lives. Um, this is how temptation can work, can it not? For instance, let's say you're in, in your business deal. If you're honest about it, you'll lose the deal. If you're dishonest, uh, you, you, you won't get it. Um, and so the, the question becomes, what will, what will we do? If we follow the way of Jesus, we will be honest and accept what comes. If we follow the way of Adam, what we'll say is something like, normally I'm pretty honest. I'm honest. I'm honest. Um, but the pain of passing this, this deal is too much uh, that I'm going I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do it. It's not, and it's not a big deal at the end of the day. Um, I'll go ahead and be dishonest this time. Or uh, take relationships. Uh, often how we'll say it this way is normally I'm really faithful when it comes to my relationships, but, this, but the loneliness I'm feeling or the hard or the pain that I'm feeling is, you know, I'm going to go ahead and find myself in an inappropriate relationship, um, uh, which will help me take care of that need. Uh, what counselors will often say, actually, in, in the midst, of, when, when, whenever somebody uh, falls into a moral failing, uh, and they're asked, so what led you to this? Uh, what counselors will tell you is the answer will, will, will never be, you know what, just because I wanted to make a mess of things. just want to see, see how it played out. Um, but actually what's, what's happening every time is it's because there's, it seemed to be the best way to solve a pain problem, an emotional pain problem, a financial pain problem, a career pain problem, whatever it would be. Uh, we face this test all the time uh, when the pain is really great. Jesus was essentially being asked, would he sell out to avoid pain? And here's the thing real quickly about temptation. Sin is almost always, it almost always works in the short run. Otherwise, it wouldn't be temptation, right? It wouldn't be. Uh, Jesus could have had the, the kingdoms, but not the kingdoms as they were, they were meant to be. Uh, sin does often work in the short run. That's why it's so tempting. But that's also why we need to, we need to face the choice. Third temptation, and then we'll pull some, a few thoughts together. Uh, verses 9 through 12, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I remember reading this for the first time as a kid and being like, this one does not seem like a temptation to me. I don't have a fear of heights, but talk about throwing myself off something like that. I wouldn't have trouble with that, okay? Like, I'm, I'm equipped, I'm empowered to handle that. But obviously, there's more going on here, right? What's, what's going on? Uh, I do want to consider this, first of all. Uh, this is a temptation that the devil actually quotes Scripture to entice Jesus. You notice that? Jesus is saying, uh, de the devil is saying, here's Scripture, which, by the way, oftentimes when I've, when I've uh, heard this text 
thought about or, 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 or written about, whatever it might be, one of the big takeaways people will say, low-hanging fruit, you just need to learn as you face temptation, believers, Scripture. Take it in, take it to heart, memorize it so that when the day comes, you can have Scripture and you can fight it. Jesus, most certainly in each of these temptation situations, has Scripture in him and is able to quote that. That's good. That's, that's right. But notice also the devil was using Scripture here which is interesting because you don't have to go back all that far in the news cycle to know that this regularly happens. Scripture being misused and all that sort of thing. So we do need to know Scripture, but we need, we need to know the whole of Scripture and how it all fits together in its context so that it's not abused or misused. Um, but the, the, the temptation Jesus was facing here is there was truth embedded in it. That is, the promise that God would care for him, protect him from all harm. But Jesus knew that the promise was not for the sake of testing God, not for the sake of manipulating the relationship, if I can put it that way, and testing to see if God would show up. Here's the question Jesus was facing. Would he serve God or use God? Uh, we, uh, I'm loving this Alpha course. If, uh, for those of you guys who are in it, I just, man, I, this is so fun. There's always takeaways I'm going from. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with Alpha, it's a, it's a group that we just started up in Current that's, that's basically a safe place to ask questions. It's a, it's a group of folks either checking out the faith for the first time or very, very new to it. And it's just wonderful uh, discussion that just kind of goes where it goes, although we try to obviously keep it um, focused on a topic, but it, there's just a lot of stuff that comes up. And one of the things that came up the other night, I guess it was maybe two nights, anyways, one of the things that, that came up at one point was somebody said, man, logically, it makes sense to believe in God if you just think of it as insurance. You know what I mean? It's like, if there's no God and you believe in God, well, what's the harm? But if you believe in God and you choose to believe in him, then you're set. Right? It would have been bad if you... Does that, does that make sense? Like, there's this logical... And I was like, wow, this is amazing. The thought would just... People are just kicking around that thought. And somebody at one point said, but you know what? That doesn't, that doesn't feel right. Uh, somebody who, you know, really articulate, looking into the faith, trying to figure it out, said, yeah, that, doesn't, that doesn't sit right. Uh, you know, first of all, that doesn't feel like uh, intellectually honest. But I think the, the word that was used is, that, it, that doesn't feel genuine. And I was like, wow, that's a thought. That's a thought, because when the Bible talks about what it is after, when Jesus comes, he is after relationship. He cares so much about being in relationship, a loving relationship with you and me. And these promises, they're amazing, but they're not for the sake of manipulating and testing to see if he's there. Um, Think of it this way. Um, You know, if my son were to come up to me, he'd never do this. But he said, Daddy, give me a game, and then I'll know you love me. He'd never do that, and I now owe my dollar. But he, I would, I would, he would say, what, give me a game, and I'll know you love it. If, if, if you're a parent, you know without hesitation that that would just cut right to your heart, right? Why? Because without even realizing it, he will have reduced the relationship down to a transaction. Um, but that's not what God is after. What God is after is something so much deeper. So much, and by the way, real quickly, to, to, the, to Christians here, I just want to say, it is really easy Boy, it is preached out there. Hey, unless you're like living on the edge for God, unless you're like putting yourself in a position where if, if, if he doesn't show up, you're, you're cooked. If you're not doing that, then you're not really living for God. Hey, if God says go out on a limb and start sawing, and people like speak into your life and are, who love you and say, yeah, that's what, that's what he's probably saying, we agree with, then okay, start sawing. That's, that's faith, that's trust. 
But so often we can concoct in our heads that, you know what, he's, he's telling me to do this, and well, we checked. If you talk to others who love you and pray for you and understand the Scripture and what God tends to lead us into, well, no, we can't start sawing. Um, I was listening to a, a pastor friend uh, recently talk about this, a pastor mentor, and he was saying that he's like, one of the, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. I've seen so many people just jump out on a limb, so many Christians, and it just not work well for them and say, God, where are you, why didn't you show up? But Jesus is showing us here that we're not to put the Lord to the test. There are a lot of promises in the Bible that, that God will protect us, will provide for us, will care for us, but ultimately, it's not for the sake of testing the relationship. His love is much deeper than that, so much deeper than that, uh, which leads us to pulling some thoughts together. Why it matters that Jesus uh, faced temptation and overcame it. A couple of thoughts. Uh, it means that he can empathize with us. Uh, this thought just blows my mind. Listen to how the Hebrews writer puts it. Uh, chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know what this is telling us? It's, it's, a, it's a it's an amazing thought to me. It's, so often it seems to me how we think of God's interactions with us when it comes to temptation is he's just sitting there watching, waiting. He sees the temptation trap set. He's waiting for it. And then when you step into it and it springs on you, he's like, gotcha. You know what? I knew you were going to. But do you realize that what we see in Jesus' temptation, what the Hebrews writer is telling us, is that he does anything but that? That is like the opposite of what he does. What he does is he empathizes with us. His heart breaks in love. Why? Because he cares so much for us, and he knows what temptation does, even, worse than, even more than we, we know it, how it affects our, our, our relationships with others, how it affects our own lives, how it affects our relationship with him. He knows this, and yet what does he do? He empathizes with us. Uh, that's the thing about this, this, what Hebrews tells us, and then even in our text here, uh, chapter 4 of, of Luke, verse 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. You know, the Hebrews writer says he has been tempted in every way, just as we are, so he can understand. Uh, this opportune time, part of that is to say that this is not the only time Jesus was tempted. He was tempted throughout. And the Hebrews writer said in every way, meaning temptations of fear, temptations of, of lust, of greed, of anger, all faced Jesus. Jesus understands all of it, and he can help us. He, and it starts with, with his empathy towards us. Um, he faced these things not to lord them over us, but to empathize with us so that we can approach him knowing that he has a tender, loving heart towards us. And then we also see that he, he gives freedom. Okay? He empathizes, but he, he also brings freedom. Ultimately, this is what this text is all about, Jesus' victory over sin and evil. If you've ever read Milton's Paradise Lost, uh, you know the setting for that of, of, the, of our disobedience, as he, as he writes it, is set in the Garden of Eden. That makes sense. Well, did you also know that he wrote Paradise Regained in, the, in, in that context is in the wilderness, Jesus' temptation story. Um, the, the, the main conflict that Jesus was facing ultimately wasn't in the wilderness, okay? But that would come in, in the, three years later in Jesus' life at the cross, but what we see in the wilderness is the first time that a son of Adam, if I could put it that way, was able to put up an effective defense against the, the, the enemy. 
Uh, Jesus, in other words, is showing us that he is the new Adam. He needed to face the same test that Adam faced and pass what Adam failed. Romans 5 uh, says that just as death entered through one man, so also life entered through another man, of course, talking about Jesus. That is to say, and we can't go through all of this. There's a lot of thoughts that will come up, and we can, we can be in discussion afterwards if you want. But this is to say that Adam, when he sinned in some supernatural way, sin was passed on genetically. However, the cancer of sin came into our, our lives uh, such that we have the propensity towards it, we have the tendency towards it. You don't have to be a, a parent of toddlers to see that that happens right away when, they're, when, they're, when we're just real young. Um, that was there. And that's what Jesus came to fight, which incidentally is why the virgin birth is so important, theologically speaking, that he's the son of God, he is the son of man. Jesus came emptying himself, Philippians 2 again, and taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Because Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, in him we can have life, his life, and a relationship with God restored. He gives freedom. Um, That is the gospel. That is the good news. So when we fail, which we will, we can own it, we can receive forgiveness, and we can turn from it. Last thought, and then we'll close. It seems to me that this text actually gives us the key for facing any and every temptation. Now, if you've been around current for long enough, you know that I don't like throwing around that kind of word. The key, the main thing, I don't know. I want to put it together. I don't know for sure, but it seems pretty darn important. A key in facing temptation. Do you, did you notice when it was read that two of the three times that Satan came to tempt Jesus, he started off by saying, if you are the Son of God. You remember that? It's really interesting to me because in, when he was baptized, just a couple verses earlier, it says when he was coming out of the water, Jesus, God the Father said, this is my son whom I am pleased. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that he was saying, if you're the son of God, I think really at the end of the day, that's the temptation under all temptations. Whose we are. Who, I think that's the temptation, and that's what we can really understand to face anything is remembering whose we are. That Jesus, that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, that you are his daughter. You are a daughter of God. You are a son of God in whom he is well pleased. Why? Because of anything you've done? No. But because of everything he has done for you, including facing any and every temptation that you will ever face, but also going to the cross to defeat evil in the world and in in your life and in mine. That's the promise, and that's what we can cling to, is knowing that we are his. And if we understand that, when temptation comes our way, we can claim who we are. Yes, no scripture. Believers, Christians who are here, learn scripture. It's important. But remember, what does all scripture point to? That he, we are his, that he sent Jesus to love us, and we, we can rest on him. And so when you're tempted, where is God in this? He's not for you. He's not trustworthy this is really good, even though he says this. Yeah, it wouldn't be nobody. We can, we can rest and rely and, and live from knowing that we are his. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for facing temptation for us. Thank you for overcoming evil on the cross that we can be freed from it and be restored in our relationship with you. Would you please help us in our battles of temptation? as individuals, as families, as a church, and beyond. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name.